if you're in a smaller market in Southeast Asia, like Malaysia or Philippines or you know even smaller like Vietnam or Hong Kong, Singapore, those are those are those are pretty small markets. Like I don't I don't think um, you you have much of a chance um, of being competitive globally if you don't start from day one. Uh, with global aspirations, because these markets are are small and they are and they're tricky to navigate. If if you really want to be a dominant player in, in Malaysia, where you know you're the number one software for pick an industry, it's going to take you down a very long and windy road, and you'll be 10, 20 years in, and maybe you'll achieve your goal, but but you know you will have missed the global opportunity. Hi, welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, brought to you by SaaStock. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and on this episode of the show, I chat with Max Armbruster, CEO and founder of TalkPush, about being truly global from day one. It's a topic that fits Max all too well, as he would easily qualify as a global citizen of the world. Having lived pretty much everywhere around the globe, his current home is Hong Kong. TalkPush is his fourth company, which he started in 2014, while the HQ of the company is technically Hong Kong, where Max sits with two other people, the reality is that the conversational candidate relationship management system has been global from day one and has five homes. That wasn't the advice Max had received at the beginning. Instead of focusing on one market alone and growing slow, Max decided to approach growth differently, working with the enterprise customers he would follow existing customers around the world and expand in each market where they were present rather than seek to find new customers in one place. The plan has worked out well and TalkPush currently employs 45 people and after initial seed round is 100% customer funded. Listen on to hear how Max de-risked expanding into new markets. We'll, we'll look to sign at least two or three customers before we move in, before we open an office and um, and only if there's there's a, a need for a local office. But initially that was the that's how it started. We opened in Hong Kong because I was based in Hong Kong. And then signed the first customer in the Philippines and hired an account manager there. And then it became an account manager plus an engineer, and then three, and then four, and then it just grew organically. That was that became our first uh, satellite office. And that pattern was repeated again. How to approach each market individually from a technological perspective. Our platform is, is um, built on the, on the idea that uh, people like to communicate through messaging, through chat. Um, and that um, if you look at the way people are using chat and messaging all over the world, it's, uh, it's very different from one country to the next. So you yeah. have WhatsApp in a, lot, a big part of the world, then you have WeChat in China, and you have Facebook Messenger and in the Philippines is the number one, for example. Um, and then uh, the US, the iMessage is still very strong. Uh, so you've got to have a technology that adapts to those behaviors as well. One way to make sure your positioning is right in each market. I think there are two main levers for how to pitch a CRM. One of them is we're going to reduce your, your cost per lead. And the other one is to say we're going to increase your productivity uh, and because a lot of the stuff will be uh, automated and so you'll be able to do more with less people. You could add a third layer about uh, sort of the, the experience and what experience you're offering your customers or your candidates. So those would be two, maybe three levers that you could pitch. And um, each market would be more sensitive and more receptive to one of those. If if you're selling um, 
on productivity, for example, uh, you'll get a, you know, a more enthusiastic response in, uh, in markets like in, in the US or even in Latin America. In, in Asia, the productivity pitch sometimes falls on deaf ears. Max is one of the excellent speakers we'll host at SAS.Asia, which will take place in Hong Kong May 14th to the 16th. He'll be joined by other successful founders from Hong Kong, such as Francois Chabaudy, co-founder and CEO of Neoma, Paul Lugan Delpont, co-founder of EasyShip, as well as international founders who have already ventured into the Asian market successfully, such as Eric Su, CEO of Single Grain, Bjorn Zinsmeister, CEO and co-founder of Templabit, Peter Coppinger, CEO, co-founder of Teamwork, to name a few. We'll be running our usual SaaS City workshops. We'll have one day of conference. There'll be the SaaS Society retreat for founders over three million. Uh, and we'll be having three great days of fun in Hong Kong. So if you're either in the Asian uh, market already and building your SaaS startup from Asia and looking to grow and looking to expand, come and join us. Or if you're looking to venture into Asia, uh, want to know how to grow your SaaS uh, within Asia, within China, uh, then get tickets and head over to events.sas.com forward slash Asia 19 uh, and join us at SaaS.Asia in May. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. Max Armbruster, uh, CEO and founder of TalkPush. Uh, welcome, Max. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for having me. No, no, no. It's uh, uh, good, to, good to have you on the show. And obviously, in advance of SaaS Talk Asia, which is our, our first uh, uh, foray into uh, the Asian market, which is happening in Hong Kong in, uh, in May. Uh, and uh, yeah, just really wanted to get you on the show um, uh, to talk about internationalization, to talk about Asia, talk about TalkPush, and uh, uh, you know, get to know uh, uh, you a bit better. Um, so I guess with that, like Max, tell, tell us, uh, you, you know, uh, as we always start, who is Max uh, Armbruster? Uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm pretty international, you could say. Um, I've got a French mother, American father. I was raised in Paris and then I lived all over the world, New York, London, Singapore um, and Hong Kong. And, um, and, you know, I've got uh, a few years of entrepreneurship uh, under my belt. I started three companies before TalkBush, and uh, I've, yeah, this uh, this career has taken me just about everywhere. Um, and kind of just to jump into the topic, uh, when I started TalkBush, uh, you know, all the advice that I received was focus on one market, get really strong in one market, and build that out. And uh, the reality uh, is, for me, has been completely different. Like we've had to be international from day one. And, uh, you know, it's brought, uh, it's brought a lot of great, rich experiences, a lot of traveling. And now we've got offices in six countries and uh, clients in over a dozen countries. So um, we'll, we'll talk about like internationalizing fr from day one uh, in a sec. And uh, so uh, obviously you're, well, you're, you're speaking at Bastok Asia in Hong Kong. Today you're calling from Oregon, so it's nice and early in the morning. I thought it was either going to be late at night or, uh, or, or actually I wasn't, wasn't sure, but I was expecting it to be late call, but it's early in the morning. And as you mentioned, you, you've lived in many places. Um, are you a digital mo nomad or is it, you, you know, because of the nature of your work that you just get to travel around and, and call, you know, different places home for a certain period of time? What's the, what's the story? Um, I'm, 
Oh uh, no, I'm not. I'm not a digital nomad. I'm a married man, um, and uh, I, I have to spend as much time at home as possible. Um, so that's not that's not the life I chose. It w- it's really uh, the the fact that our customers. So we're we're focused on enterprise segments, really big uh, companies, and it's a very long sales cycle. When you manage to break into a customer, so, so to speak, when you manage to start building trust and delivering a service uh, for them, it's, you know, the, the hardest part is behind you and you, you really want to expand that relationship. And we just found that it was easier for us to accompany our customers from one country to the next mm-hmm. rather than uh, win more customers, if you will. The expansion of, of the existing big customer was uh, an easy way, a faster way to grow for us than simply trying to dominate one location and one market. That's why, um, that's why we travel so much. Well, the reason I'm in Oregon today is because, you know, it's the ski, uh, ski season. Okay. So, so you're in holiday? Work. Yes. Okay. Sorry for, sorry for you. I appreciate you to uh, take the, the time out of it. Look, where, where, where is home then quickly? Uh, uh, home is Hong Kong. That's where we started uh, the company in 2000, late 2014. Mm-hmm. And um, we have about 45 employees, I think. Uh, and uh, th- only three of us are in Hong Kong. Okay. Uh, 44, uh, 40, um, 45. 45 employees, three in Hong Kong. So is that uh, the senior management team? Where, 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 what is the rest of the makeup of the team? Where are they based? In- it, it's, uh, we're trying not to to be from any specific place. So when people ask, uh, you know, where, where is Talkbush based? Well, um, certainly, um, yeah, it was founded in Hong Kong, uh, but it's global, uh, very global. And we've got our head of sales who's based in, in India, our head of marketing in Mexico, um, our head of engineering in Manila, um, head of customer success is with me in Hong Kong. And, uh, and so, you know, there's some roles that are more, dependent on the region, but location specific. And we'll, we'll look for, for example, for a sales team or for some local account managers. Uh, but, uh, but many of the roles are, are global. And so we, when we do a search for an engineer, for example, we'll, we'll do a search for an engineer in any of the locations where we are. Uh, opening the talent pool to all these countries. And, you know, if you add the countries where we already have an office, like Philippines and Mexico and India, like these are really, really large talent pools. So it, uh, it opens our search uh, quite a bit um, and um, forces us to, yeah, to, to, uh, to, I mean, it forces us, it, it allows us to expand our, our search to profiles that we wouldn't have thought of, uh, naturally and i'm trying to make sure that we uh we make that part of our dna so next week we're we're flying all the employees not every single one but most of the employees will be in mexico uh for our annual company retreat and that means like many people are going to be coming from asia and coming to mexico to to get to know their uh, their colleagues uh, from the other side of the pacific ocean and uh, we'll do you know strategy meetings and all that uh, team meetings and it's the first time we're doing it on the other side of the Pacific. Uh, normally, the last two we did it uh, in Asia, and it was important for me to just uh, reinforce the fact that we're we're a global company and we just have to stay, um, you know, take take the opportunity to travel, to learn, and to adapt to local markets. 
So you're, you're definitely a global company. Would you consider yourself as a remote-based organization, uh, which we're seeing a big trend of in, in SaaS yeah. at the moment? Um, I think we're sort of a hybrid remote. Everybody has an office. Um, they, they don't have to come to the office necessarily every day. But we do make we do have a nice office uh, for each of our employees in each of the countries where they work. Some of those are, you know, co-working. We work, uh, but everybody's got an office. And um, when when I did a survey of our employees, I said, "Would you like to be full remote or part remote or or uh, come to the office every day?" Um, everybody opted for that flexibility. Said that. They like to have the option of coming into the office, but they uh, they also want to be working from home a couple of days a week. And in some of the locations where we are, there's a real problem around uh, traffic jams. Uh, we're we're in cities that have some of them have a lot of traffic jams, and and commute Is time it, can be horrendous. Do you intentionally pick cities with really bad traffic? <laughs> uh, I I don't. <laughs> But uh, but we our first customer was was in the Philippines and Manila is pretty pretty bad and Delhi is is also really really bad so those are two cities that are particularly bad um, and well Mexico is right up there too so so um, you know people like the the option of okay for a couple of days a week I'm just going to work from home and uh, focus on my more long tasks. And what, did, you, did you choose these specific locations? Because, you, I mean, you mentioned there, like, <clears throat> you've got customers there. Was it, we've won a customer. We need to, you know, <clears throat> have somebody in Manila. We need to have somebody, you know, in Mexico, Mexico City, or wherever the, the you know, the person is based. Was it because yeah. of that? Um, it- yeah, yeah, uh, 100%. So in order to de-risk um, going into a country, uh, we, I mean, as as I shared. I, I like to travel. I like to see the world. And if it was up to me, you know, we'd be we'd be going to all kinds of cool exotic places. So I have to hold myself back a little bit, make sure that we're not we're not uh, squandering our meager resources, and we focus on markets that are gonna are gonna be, um, you know, a good fit for our, for our offering. So we'll we'll look to sign at least two or three customers before we move in, before we open an office, and um, and. Only if there's there's a, a need for a local office. But initially, that was the that's how it started. We opened in Hong Kong because I was based in Hong Kong, mm-hmm. and then signed a first customer in the Philippines, and hired an account manager there. And then it became an account manager plus an engineer, and then three, and then four, and then it just grew organically. And um, and that was that became our first uh, satellite office. And and the yeah, that pattern was repeated again when a couple of summers ago I went to Costa Rica. I was actually going there on a personal travel, and I took the opportunity to go meet a couple of potential customers who we work with in in, uh, in Asia, and they were very interested in what we had to offer. So uh, a couple of months later, we opened an office, one person, two, three. Now we've got, uh, I think, 10 people working in Costa Rica. And, and with um, so with with this, let's say, dis- distributed like approach for like go to market, it, it, it seems. And so obviously, you know, you have Philippines, Mexico, so India. Like how how uh, and with it being an enterprise sale as, as well, my, my understanding. Like how did you kind of go about like finding these customers? Like okay, well, you know, ones in Philippines, ones in 
uh, in Mexico, rather than as uh, as you said, like in the beginning of the podcast, where like okay, we just fo- we just focus in Asia, and then we'll move to like US, and then we'll do Latin America or whatever. So you you, you know, did the customers find you? Did you find them? Like how how did this come about? Uh, well, we work in talent acquisition recruitment, and it's a relatively small community. So when when you open a customer, start and, and manage that relationship, usually you'll get some referrals, and a lot of the personnel that you work with um, will eventually move jobs and go to another company, and so they can bring you along with them. So you have to. Um, it's a long game, you know. You you have to stay in that community long enough that. Uh, that, that, that it expands. That's where most of the new logos would come in. It would come in through referrals or or uh, second um, sort of second order um, sales. Um, the the initial the initial the strategy was to focus exclusively on very high volume recruiters, and I find that the SMB market is is you know very exciting. I would love to. To work more in it, but um, but it's also very crowded in terms of offering. And when you're when you're doing enterprise um, and building an enterprise solution that is not U.S. or Europe centric, there's not that many. I mean, it's a little bit less competitive. We in the sense that we we find local competitors, but there are no global competitors that will go to the extent of customization and localization that we we do for those enterprise customers. So what I mean is um, they'll, um, e- even if, if it's, a big, it's a big brand, a big, a big name, we work with companies like Accenture, Walmart, you know, big names. Um, even for those companies who have really large global operation, sometimes um, they, they resent the fact that, and I'm, I'm not saying these two specifically have that resentment, but some of these organizations um, resent the fact that the global headquarter is pushing a certain technology um, for you know for them to use, and and really like the opportunity to work with a provider who thinks about the local problems first and is is willing to build a solution and a workflow that fits their operation because you don't run talent acquisition the same way in the U.S. as you would in France as you would in. Uh, South Africa. Each of those markets require a very different process and, and uh, a different approach because you're you're dealing with a different market. So um, it's that's why the opportunity is, I think, for us is to continue to have that uh, very localized approach uh, while offering a global platform. And and so, and so, like you enter a new market and it's uh, a new language requirement, you you'll customize and, and sort of localize that product based on that customer. Obviously, if, if if it's worth it, you know, for the business. So the the the, the platform prob- like today then you know supports multiple languages, um, uh, as far as I understand, right? Yeah, multiple languages, and you know, uh, we our platform is is. Um, built on the, on the idea that uh, people like to communicate through messaging, through chat, um, and that um, um, if you look at the way people are using chat and messaging all over the world, it's, uh, it's very different from one country to the next. So you have WhatsApp in a, lot, a big part of the world, then you have WeChat in China, and you have Facebook Messenger and in the Philippines is the number one, for example. Um, and then uh, in the US, the iMessage is still very strong. SMS. Uh, so you've got to have a technology that adapts to those behaviors as well. And then 
the language aspect, of course, uh, which becomes even more tricky when you add uh, things like natural language processing. So we, we use the Google technology to do our NLP, and that allows us to build solutions that can understand Portuguese and Chinese and so on. Um, you, you'd be, you know, you could find, you could find, we have local competitors in each of those markets. So we have, a, we have competitors in Brazil, and competitors in uh, Singapore, um, but very few of them took the gamble that we took to go global from day one because, you know, it's, it's actually, it's very risky and it's hard to keep it all together. Mm. No, no, no. It's very smart um, approach. Interesting. And actually like anecdotally, uh, was it last week I visited a unicorn SaaS company that I think a lot of people know that, you know, they have a, um, uh, like a, a not, not a chatbot, but, um, you know, a, a communications sort of tool, you know, for, for your website, for, for your web visitors, and uh, their platform is only available in English, you know, despite, I mean, obviously they've had great success, you know, both in, in yeah. Europe and, and the US. Uh, and they told me a story about, you, you know, just trying to break into the French market where obviously the, the language, of, well, the, the level of English is, isn't so great. Uh, and they'd won a big client, um, you know, like a big, uh, like a Walmart, but not quite. Uh, and then they went into that office to kind of roll out this platform, and like none of the none of the the staff at this company could actually use it because they couldn't speak English, and you, you, you know it was it was just like a, a big issue. So that's one of the things for them down the line. But they'll be like running, you know, operating as a business eight nine years, and then looking at you know kind of like localizing you, you know the platform into certain languages. And I guess they'll go to one or two. But I guess you, you've done this from day one, which is um, you know. It, yeah, I mean, uh, if if you've got if you've got Chinese and English and uh, Arabic, uh, Hindi, <laughs> French, uh, Spanish, and Portuguese, I think, I think you, you've got your bases covered. Yeah, yeah. you've got, you got ninety five percent of the planet covered, so you're you're, you're in a good place. Um, but uh, on on your anecdote about the French chatbot, I I do uh, I have read that uh, France is is you know. Not to be too nationalistic about it, but France is supposed to be um, very advanced in terms of its conversational intelligence and chatbot ecosystem. So I'm sure they'll be able to hire some local talent. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Um, and, and what about let's see? There's localizing the platform, but what about localizing your your offering and the sales pitch? You know, and, and the specific culture. Is it is it simply just hiring somebody you know within that region that understands that and and kind of you know makes their own tweaks or how did you kind of manage that you, you know from uh from the hong kong hq yeah so imagine uh, so what we offer effectively is a crm and you could um i think there are two main levers for how to pitch a crm one of them is we're going to reduce your your cost per lead uh, so your marketing cost is going to come down because your conversions are going to improve. And the other one is to say, we're going to increase your productivity uh, and because a lot of the stuff will be uh, automated. And so you'll be able to do more with less people. And, and then, you know, you could add a third layer about uh, sort of the, the experience and what experience you're offering your customers or your candidates. And are you able to, you know, improve your brand with that? So those would be two, maybe three levers that you could pitch. And um, each market would be more sensitive and more receptive to one of those. If, if you're selling um, on productivity, for example, um, you'll, you'll get 
you know, more enthusiastic response in, uh, in markets like in, in the US or even in Latin America. In, in Asia, the productivity pitch sometimes falls on deaf ears because people, um, you know, it's, it's still, you still get relatively um, cheap labor and the salaries are a little bit lower and, um, and people like to hire a lot. Uh, and so, uh, so they may be a little bit less receptive to that, but if you, if you tell them, well, I'm going to, I'm going to help you reduce your advertising spend, then, then that, that works best. So you have to adjust a little bit in that sense. Uh, but I mean, the offering, the marketing material more or less stays the same. And, uh, yeah. Um, what about the pricing though? Does does that stay the same? Because I imagine, like, is is the CRM the same price in the Philippines as it is, you know, in the US? So I have to put my head of sales on this uh, on this podcast to answer that question politically, because um, that's been brought up in a number of negotiations by many customers. And you think you think the guys don't talk from one place to another, but they do, of course. And uh, so you have to be very careful of that. And it's, it's a tricky one to, to explain, um, you know, the difference in prices because you are selling something that, um, uh, well, it's, it's software. So it's, it's hard to price. Um, we, we think that, uh, of course, you know, developed markets can, can support a higher price. So if, if you want to be able to justify uh, a higher price there, then, You'd have to talk about the the added support and added services that you offer. So uh, we we have a, a layer of account managers, customer success team. We have a layer of, of custom development and support, uh, which which can help to justify some price differences. But generally speaking, you know we're at a point where now for every discussion that we enter with a, a customer, we 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 talk about the global framework uh, from the beginning so that. Um, you know, there are no surprises for our customers afterwards. So we'll start a relationship in, in Mexico, for example, but we'll, we'll talk about how is this going to be at the regional level. And so the transition from single country to multi-country can be, can be seamless with no surprises. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that those are their global procurement team. So you're going to be, uh, you're going to be forced into a discussion to, to have a, a uniform pricing most and, of the time. And, and we, we spoke about, obviously, like this distributed, uh, distributed team, you know, they're, they're there in Mexico and India and Philippines, et cetera, because, like, you, you know, you want customers there and you, so you've hired locally. But how did you go about, like, hiring that person? You know, I guess obviously you already tapped into the recruitment industry and the talent pool, but like, uh, how, how do you find your head of sales in India, et cetera? Like, um, what, what was your approach? Yeah, uh, well, it's a mix of uh, inbound, outbound. So outbound meaning uh, connecting with people on, on LinkedIn, uh, inbound. I, I think that there's a lot of great talents and quote-unquote digital nomads on angel.co and they, uh, you know, they're people who are naturally more open to the idea of working in a startup, uh, being more autonomous and working, you know, in a more flexible model. Uh, so, so that, that's sort of a, a nice, um, self-selected audience to, to choose from. And, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, recruitment's hard work. You got to do it every, every week. You got to set up uh, some time. And uh, I tell, uh, I tell my whole, all my team, like you've got to, you got to set at least a 
two or three hours every week where you're, you're looking for talent. Even if you're not looking for talent tomorrow, but you should be, you should be sourcing. No, absolutely. You know, I, I try and say the same thing to, uh, to, to my team as, um, you know, we look to, to grow to the next, uh, the next kind of chapter uh, as it were. And um, uh, I, I guess, you know, continuing the, the discussion on internationalization, um, you know, what, what are you seeing in terms of like uh, European and US companies like moving into Asia and like specifically like SaaS companies um, you, you know, are you seeing any companies that like they've done it and they've done it right? Any companies that have done it and, and actually, you know, it, it hasn't necessarily kind of worked for them? Um, yeah, I think, uh, well, you know, before, before, uh, starting talk push, I worked, I worked at SAP for a little while. Um, so I saw an organization that was very mature. I mean, they were, it was so mature that it was not SaaS. It was, it was on premise and, and is now you know aggressively moving towards SaaS. Um, There's some some companies like NetSuite who have built really big offices initially with um, in the Philippines where they have like a shared services center. Um, so and you get uh, companies like Adobe that have an Oracle that have a strong presence in India. So you've got these hubs of, of know-how. I think that uh, companies. You know, startups that have uh, gone from from Asia to global, it's still it's still pretty thin. Um, I don't have too many examples that come to mind, but you know, we have a structural advantage here. And I mean, for companies that are starting in Asia, they they have access to a deeper talent pool. They have a growing market, you know, a faster growing market. So I'm sure uh, I'm sure some of these names will start to pop up on the international scene. You you do see a lot of Indian startups that start in India and then once they get to you know one or two million ARR they they rebrand themselves as American companies and, and you know with a VC backing so I don't have the list of yeah no, I mean certainly plenty. yeah certainly in, in India um, I'm aware of like uh, and I think uh, specifically like around in Chennai there is like a say a SaaS mafia but you've got companies like Charge B, Zoho uh, Freshworks, um, you know, for instance, there, uh, there's, well, there's two unicorns, uh, um, uh, within those three that, that I mentioned. Right. And so we're definitely seeing like a lot, a lot of SaaS from India. Um, the, the rest of and Asia, Singapore. yeah, Singapore, there's, I mean, like, uh, definitely the, the, there's a lot of SaaS there. Uh, but in terms of, I'm not sure, like, again, like who, who are the kind of unicorn or the big global companies in Singapore? I mean, I'm sure there, there, there is a list, but I don't know, but do, do you, uh, do you think um, predominantly that um, that uh, SaaS companies that are formed in Asia, born in Asia, they're uh, with your like the exception of yourselves, they're not going global from day one because the market is going to be big enough, um, you know? Or uh, do you think they they need to go glo- global from day one, like uh, SaaS companies in Australia, for instance? Oh yeah, um, yeah. We we didn't talk about Australia because uh, they're. They're, they're in our time zone. Uh, they're in the Asian time zone. Yeah. So yeah, those uh, the Australia. I think Australia does lead the way when you th- when you think about it. Um, they they have gone global beautifully. Uh, there's um, and the Indian ones. I, I can't think of Southeast. I don't have too many examples of companies starting in Southeast Asia that went global. Uh, SaaS companies. Um, so you know. Um, as I, I as I told you, like we don't we don't see ourselves as uh, a company from any particular location. We want to be global totally. So, um, 
I don't want us to be uh, uh, branding ourselves as an Asian company per se. Yeah. No, it's still our our uh, sort of uh, our center today. But um, yeah, I think uh, I think the, the the reasoning. If you're in Indonesia, you've got a huge market. You know, 250 million people. So you're going to focus on that. Now, if you're in a smaller market in Southeast Asia, like Malaysia or Philippines or you know, even smaller like Vietnam or Hong Kong, Singapore, like um, those are those are those are pretty small markets. Like I don't I don't think um, you you have much of a chance um, of being competitive globally if you don't start from day one uh, with global aspirations because these markets are are small and they are and they're tricky to navigate. If if you really want to be a dominant player in, in Malaysia, where you know you're the number one software for pick an industry, um, it's going to be, it's going to take you down a very long and windy road and you'll be 10, 20 years in and maybe you'll achieve your goal, but, but you know, you will have missed the global opportunity. So I think for us, like the fact that we, we wanted to be global from day one has forced us into a few product decisions and hiring decisions that we wouldn't have made otherwise. And I'm not saying it's the easy path, but it was, it, you know, it was what's right for me as a founder. Like I, I didn't want to be in one country as well. It was a personal decision as well. And 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 bringing it back to you, um, so you you know you mentioned obviously that you're you're in Oregon. You're on a, a skiing holiday um, right now, and so slightly jealous. Uh, but um, you, you know, how do you? I, I promise it's an exception. It's, yeah. it's not usually like that. <laughs> How, how, how do you usually, um, you know, stay healthy and sane as, as you, you know, as, as you build and lead your, your, your company? Uh, yeah, it's the sanity bit is not easy with all those time zones. But um, I've managed to, to um, organize myself so that I can do sports every day. And I have, I have one-on-one meetings with everyone from my, every, every direct report of mine wherever they are in the world, I talk to them on Monday. I spend an hour with each of them one-on-one. Uh, and so, um, so that, that helps to just you know, start the week knowing that everybody's on the same, same page and being able to help them on any, any issues, personnel matters. And then we also have our, our OKR. So we use the, the OKR method to, to do goal setting every four months. So we know we're going in the same direction. We align ourselves every every Monday, and that really gives me a lot of freedom for Tuesday to Friday to do what I want. Um, and that usually does not include skiing in Oregon. This is this is a very exceptional week, uh, but it gives me you know enough uh, enough freedom so that I, I do have my sanity. And I and I think that uh, working in a distributed team gives you a fair amount of freedom on how you manage your team because. You know, I can jump in at any time of day. There's going to be somebody I can talk to and work with, but I can also, you know, I only have two other colleagues in my office, so I, I can also have quiet time. So it's quite quite nice. Awesome. Well, well, Max, um, you know, really appreciate you taking time um, from your uh, short vacation to, to be on the SaaS Web and uh, looking forward to meeting in person in Hong Kong uh, in May. Uh, so that we're that's 14th to the 16th uh, uh, at Sastock Asia in, in Hong Kong. Have you you've been to Hong Kong before? I, I did. Uh, I did a I did a little site visit um, uh, or, or recce, as they say, uh, just before I was do. Uh, we had Sastock Oceania in in, uh, in December, so I spent a, a grand total of 36 hours in Hong Kong, and I was horribly jet lagged. 
I was pretty tired and uh, on my own. Uh, so it was, I, I just didn't really know where to go, what to do. It was a bit, it's a bit overwhelming, that city. Yeah. It, it was definitely overwhelming. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to actually like, spending more time there. Like, likely I'll, I'll do a week there, like when we're there for, for Sasquatch mm-hmm. Asia and just get to know, uh, you, you know, the, uh, the, the, the city, uh, you know, uh, a, a bit better. Um, it's got a, it's got a very entrepreneurial culture. You know, uh, it was started, uh, as a city that was started on trading. It's very international. Um, it's, you know, it never sleeps. So I think, I think it's got the potential to, to, um, carry a lot of SaaS entrepreneurs. Uh, and so I, I hope, uh, looking forward to meet all of them at, uh, at your event. And, uh, thank, thank you. Thank you for choosing the city. Yeah, no, no, no. It's uh, it, say it, it kind of chose itself, but uh, we, we were look, we were looking obviously at Singapore as well. But uh, there was just something about uh, that Hong Kong that uh, uh, that won it over for us. But um, yeah, so looking forward to that. Um, you know, on, on that note, Max, thank you very much, uh, and um, we'll we'll see you in May. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show and you've picked up some valuable lessons from Max Armbrister. If you're curious to learn what other companies are succeeding uh, from the region, have a look at our list of 38 bright Asian SaaS stars from 11 countries, which we've just published on our blog. The link will be in the description. Uh, if you're also looking to join us at one of the SaaS stuff events uh, happening this year, I think we've got six conferences in five continents, uh, starting with SaaS Latam end of April, which is in Sao Paulo. Sastock Asia, which is in Hong Kong in May, uh, Sastock East Coast in New York in June, Sastock West Coast, San Francisco in September. Uh, we've got Sastock 19 back in Dublin, uh, which is in mid-October, and Sastock Australasia, uh, which is end of the year in December and in Australia, as you may have guessed. So uh, join us at one of those events, you know, come be part of the, uh, the SAS community Join us as we uh, we try and help SaaS companies to get traction, grow and scale uh, and have fun at the same time. We'll uh, see you next time.